Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. It's a privilege to be here tonight. We have uh, kind of been in hiding for uh, a year at the doctor's recommendation. I was uh, declared uh, uh, kind of full of uh, terminal cancer in uh, 2017. And when I used to go to the hospital, UCI hospital, I would always think when I uh, passed the Chow building, uh, I hope that I never have to go into that building. And uh, that's the cancer building on campus. And as it turned out, I did have to go into that building and I've been in there many times since. And uh, I've uh, really come to, thank you, thank you. I've really come to appreciate uh, what it is to have cancer. Um, uh, When I get a scan done, as I've had done uh, several times recently, because they're gonna put me back on uh, chemo, and I wasn't looking forward to that. I was hoping that would not happen because everything tastes like cardboard. You can have the tastiest meal in the world and you can't, you can't taste it. It ruins your taste buds. But uh, at any rate, they, uh, the doctors and the nurses have just been absolutely wonderful. And we couldn't ask for better care. And uh, I'm, I'm not sorry that the Lord gave me the opportunity to go to the child building. I'd like, I hope that tonight is, uh, is a fun experience for you because if it is, it will reflect the story of my Christian life. And sometimes uh, uh, Charles Finney made the statement, he was a famous evangelist in the 19th century, and he said, he said, you know, too often we get serious about our Christianity, but the problem with becoming too serious about our Christianity is that it loses all the attraction for people that are not Christians. They, uh, they, they think, okay, is it fire insurance? Is that, what, is that what it is? It is to keep us out of hell? Is that the main purpose of the Christian life? And I'm here this evening to tell you that I have uh, been a Christian 57 years, and I, I thank God that it has been one joyful experience after another. And uh, you're going to think that I'm stretching the point here tonight, but when I tell you that my three and a half years of cancer has been an enjoyable experience, it's taught me something. You always wonder, what would it be like to, and Pastor Jay has certainly shared uh, his heart on that matter, what 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 would it be like if this happened or if that happened? And I can honestly say not once in these three and a half years have I ever prayed that God would heal me of cancer. My only prayer, and I pray it continually, is this, God, glorify your name in this. Somehow, glorify your name. And... uh, it was, it was so, so strange that when, when Jesus was informed, he was down at the River Jordan when he was informed that Lazarus was very, very sick. And uh, when Martha and Mary uh, gave the message to the messenger, the message was something like this. The, the, the man whom you love is sick, and we need you. We need you desperately. Jesus decided to wait for two days at the River Jordan before he started his two-day trip back to Bethany, and that's where they were. And he knew all the time what his father's will was in that. Lazarus is going to die, and Lazarus did die. 
And it was such a disappointment to Mary and Martha because they said, Lord, both of them said identically the same thing. Lord, if you had been here and you were not here, he would not have died. If you had come when we called you, if you hadn't delayed coming, my brother would not have died. Mary and Martha, both the same words exactly. And uh, so they were disappointed, but Jesus told his disciples ahead of time, and he made it very clear to Martha, uh, your brother will rise again. And Martha said, I, I know he'll rise again. I have no questions about that in the resurrection at the last day, but I want him back now. I want, him, I want him back now. And Jesus, when he finally prepares to raise Lazarus from the dead, he said, didn't I tell you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? And so uh, I'm waiting to see what all God has planned with this cancer business. But I can say one thing, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid to die. I don't want to die because I don't want to leave Betsy. That's is putting it as simply as you can. I have a, a wife and two beautiful daughters and their husbands and grandchildren. And the only reason that I would hesitate for a minute uh, if, if the Lord were to call me home was, would be, it's been a wonderful life. It really has been. So often when we hear Christians talk about the, the wonderful life, it's, it's, it's kind of a get-rich-quick uh, gospel that they're preaching. Praise Jesus, praise Jesus. We, we're going to, aren't we going to have fun here today? No, we're not going to have fun here today because it's, it's a phony approach to joy and to peace. We don't, we don't talk and act like that when we're really full of joy and full of peace and so forth. What, what, whatever happened to the, to the ability, the art of being able to say to somebody, I am very happy in the Lord Jesus Christ very happy in the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything that he's done for me. Now, tonight, I would like to go through the first third of, uh, of this series and tell you something about my background. One of the things that I've been convinced of is that God knew that I was going to become a Christian before I ever became a Christian. And many things that happened in my life uh, pointed to that. I was, uh, I graduated from high school in 1959 and we moved out here from Pennsylvania to California. Yellowstone Park happens to be along the way. And my dad said, you know, I've never seen Yellowstone Park. I'd like to stop and see it. What a park, what a place. Well, I was born with, uh, with boots on. I had my first pair of boots when I was five years old. I have a picture of me standing with like this so that the boots are clear in the picture. And uh, I, I just love the mountains. I just loved the mountains and the trees and everything like that. And so when we came to Yellowstone Park, it was like arriving on the gates of heaven. It really was. And uh, so one day while we were camped there, we were there, we were gonna stay for two weeks. And one day I went back into the woods because I heard a chainsaw. And so I went back into the woods and I got talking to uh, one of the guys back there. They were felling trees. And I said, man, I would love to work in a place like this. And he said, you would? I said, yeah. He said, go up to Mammoth. Mammoth is the headquarters of the park. He said, you go up to Mammoth and go in the uh, personnel department. And he said, they'll put you to work. And so I told my dad, my dad and I both drove up there and they put us both to work. And so I worked at Yellowstone Park for a year. Wonderful experience, just a wonderful experience. Such a terrific place. 
uh, all of the animals, all of the visitors there. The first year I worked as a flagman on the road. They were doing, they can only do road construction during the summer. And so I was out there with a stop sign and uh, every time we would stop a line of cars, I'd get to talk to the people. Where are you from? And I, oh, how, when they say, how did you get here? Well, I work, I live, we're going to California, but I got a job here for the summer. And uh, in 1960, I decided that I'd like to buy a ranch up in that country. And so I started looking at ranch property, and a, a ranch property at that time was selling for about $1,500 an acre. $1,500 an acre. Well, looking at my bank account, I always worked. I always had money because I always worked, mostly in music. And uh, so I, I knew that that was impossible, but somehow Strout, Strout Catalog came into my hands, and that's a, that's a nationwide real estate company. So I'm leafing through it, and here is a farm in Missouri, a 150-acre farm for $10 an acre. Wow, I said, I gotta go to Missouri. So I jumped in my little Jeep, a gift from God. I always wanted a Jeep, and God gave me a Jeep. And I jumped in that Jeep, and I drove north of Nebraska, and then I headed down into to, uh, <coughs> Missouri, right down in Missouri, Missouri Ozarks. And when I found out where the $10 an acre uh, property was located, I said, well, I don't think I want to get that far out. And so the real estate man that was working with me, he said, well, would you go as high as $25 an acre? I said, yeah, I can go $25 an acre. He said, good. He took me down into the little town of Seligman, and two miles outside of that town, there was an 80-acre farm, a working farm, um, had raised th uh, three, uh, two families by the time I bought it. And uh, the man said, yes, it's true. It's $25 an acre. Now, when I'm going through this story of my life, what I'm hoping that you'll pick up on is I realize that to some of you so far, nothing that I've mentioned would be of interest to you. You don't want to buy a farm. You don't, you don't want a Jeep and so forth. But try to take my experience, if you can, and imagine yourself in it. From the time that I became a Christian, a verse that jumped out off the pages at me was this one. Delight thyself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Isn't that a wonderful verse? Delight yourself in the Lord. Delight thyself in the Lord, and he will give thee the desires of your heart. And so I began to watch this happening. It wasn't, I wasn't in love with Christ so that for the things that I could get out of him, but the thing that struck me was that only God knew what the desires of my heart really were. If you ask the average person, what do you want to do with the rest of your life or something like that? They, many people would be hard put to tell you. But I had a, a bucket list. I had a definite bucket list, and Betsy was the first to notice that I had a bucket list. And uh, so from that time on, I went back to Yellowstone Park and worked in 1961 for the whole season. It was a great experience. Uh, college kids uh, from all over the world, not only all over the United States, but from all over the world working there. And in 1961, I went back and worked my second full year. And it was a wonderful experience, wonderful. Uh, it was just such clean fun. Uh, just before that, uh, I, just before I went back for my second year, I drove north in my Jeep with two other young guys from Cerritos College, and we were going gold panning on the, on the uh, uh, Russian River. And uh, 
So uh, we get up there, and, and I, I had brought enough gold with me home to fill the bottom of a little salt shaker. About, I suppose that maybe there might have been $5 worth of gold in there. So since we didn't strike it rich, those guys went home, and I went over and worked at the park, uh, work, work at Yellowstone again. And along the way, my Jeep started leaking oil, and I pulled into a town on the way to Yellowstone, and uh, the, the man looked at me, and he obviously saw the obvious. This guy's broke. And I was leaking oil. I could, uh, the gear shift was on the floor, and I could see the oil leaking out around the gasket. Well, I, I didn't know what I was going to do about it. And so he said, uh, I can fix that for you. He said, come back in an hour. So I, can, I came back in an hour. I had picked cherries uh, the day before, and I made $8 for picking cherries. So that, that was my sum total in my wallet. And uh, I said, how much, how much is that uh, going to cost me? And he said, $5. How's that sound? I said, that sounds wonderful. I jumped in the Jeep and kept going. Made it to, <clears throat> made it to uh, Yellowstone Park, worked the second year, had the farm. And the idea of buying the farm was that I intended to go and be a farmer the rest of my life. But you see, that was a desire of my heart that really was not. And the reason I say that was because when I, I, went, in, I went in the service immediately after that, and that was uh, in September of 1963, uh, I had heard that the United States Air Force and others would guarantee your slot for whatever you requested, if it was possible. So there was some gamble to it. But I said, I'd like to go to Russian language school and, uh, and study Russian. And the recruiter said, I'll put you down for Russian language school. He said, you got to do well in several fields. And uh, the general field happened to be one of those fields. And I did really well in all of the tests. And so the recruiter said, there should be no trouble at all. So I went and did my basic training in Lackland Air Force Base, and they sent me from there to Indiana University to study Russian. Excuse me. When I was in Texas in basic training, I did something that I shouldn't have done, and I'm not going to go into the gory details of that, except that I felt very, very guilty for having done what I did. And uh, so I, I didn't do it, really. I, was not, I, I, I wasn't the perpetrator of the thing. It was somebody else that did it, and I just happened to be in bad company. And so I, I struggled with this. I thought, what if my mother and dad find out about this? What if my sisters and my family found out about this? It, you know, and uh, it was something, and I didn't want anybody to know. But it was the, the turning point in my life, because I thought to myself, there are two people in this universe that know the truth about this matter. I know it, and God knows it. And really, that's, that's all I could say. God knows that I didn't do anything wrong. I was sucked into this thing and, and never should have been in a situation where I could be. But it was with that in my mind God knows and I know, and that was the most, that was the closest I came to becoming a theist, somebody who just believes in God. But when I got to Indiana University, God was there waiting for me in the form of a guy named David P. Fox. I was in room 209, David Fox was in room 211, we were right beside each other. He had a roommate uh, that wasn't interested in Christianity, and uh, 
and I had a roommate who was a Jewish fellow, Howard Sokolov, and David started talking to my roommate. And believe me, David was a, an evangelist, very serious speaker and, uh, and a very serious witness for Christ and a, a marvelous life. His, his mom worked at Word of Life Camp in uh, New York, up in Scroon Lake. And uh, so the whole family were strong Christians. And uh, so we all went home for Christmas break and Howard went home to his Jewish family and shared with them what he was learning. And his dad told him, he said, I'll tell you son right now, if you become a Christian, I will disown you. And so Howard came back and Howard said, look guys, I've enjoyed this, I've learned a lot, I appreciate what you've done, but I can't talk about it anymore. He said, I'm not, I'm not gonna put myself in a situation where my dad will disown me. And so uh, in the meantime, I had been listening to the conversation, studying Russian on this on the left hand and listening with, with one ear. I had been listening to the testimony that David gave to Howard. And so one day, Dave came to me and he said, Jay, are you interested in Christianity? you have any interest in that direction at all? And I said, yes, I do have. I've been in church all my life, very, very liberal church, um, unbelievably liberal. But I said, uh, yeah, yeah. I said, the problem is, Dave, I have questions that you can't answer. He was two years younger than I was. I was 22, he was 20. And I said, I, I have questions to, to answer for, about the Bible that you can't answer because I had heard a lot of bad report on the Bible. There are, there are some pastors who major in that. And so uh, I happened to be in a church milieu. I joined three different churches when we lived in three different towns. All of them belonged to that denomination, all of them bad-mouthing the Bible. And so uh, some of you have heard this story, but I'll make it very short. We, he said, how about, how about let's try it? He said, give me a question and we'll see what we can do about it, do with it. So I said, okay, Dave. He said, you say that God is fair. He said, that's right, God is fair. I said, if God is fair, how in the world can he justify killing seven nations in the land of Canaan to bring one nation in? In what, what scale of, of fairness is, is, can you speak about him being fair? He killed seven nations in the land of Canaan, the Amorites, so that he can bring his, his chosen people in. I said, that doesn't sound fair to me at all. And so he opened his Bible. This was his technique. He, he kind of cheated. He had a technique, and he, he opened his Bible to Leviticus chapter 18, and if you get home tonight and have a chance, read Leviticus chapter 18, and you will see exactly what those seven nations were like. I happen to love children. I, I, that was a genetic thing for my dad. I happen to love babies, especially at the age when they sort of slobber down your, your neck and runs down into your T-shirt, you know. And uh, as soon as I read that the Amorites were killing and slaughtering their children, or worse yet, burning them alive to Moloch. Uh, as soon as I read that, I didn't have to go much further, but they were involved in bestiality, having, having sexual relationships with animals. And it went on down the line. And so uh, I remember very clearly saying to Dave, well, I, the only thing I can say in, in, in light of this chapter is I, God was more patient than I would have been. Because I said it would have never lasted for 700 years if, if it had been me and had to do something about it. What happened was that God, you know, when you, before you feel too sorry for Satan and, and the sinner, 
you need to go back and get all the information on it. Because what happened was Abraham was the first to suggest, is this the time to destroy the Amorites? Abraham was 1900 BC, roughly. The Amorites were finally destroyed about 1200 BC. So for 700 years, plus or minus, God had been warning the Amorites, if you don't repent, I'm going to destroy you. And I mean destroy you from off the face of the earth. There, there are not going to be any more Amorites. And so for 700 patient years, God dealt with the Amorites. And if you remember the name Melchizedek, well, Melchizedek was a priest of the Most High God, and he was one of the ones that was living in the country of the Amorites. And so God had sent testimony to those people you better repent because it's going to be bad news. And I said, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a fair answer. That's a good answer. It lasted about three months. Dave, David kept telling me all the way uh, through this, he said, he said, by all means, bring all your questions to me because he said, we'll, we, can, we can resolve those things. You know? So we would meet every night. I had a Bible study every night, and he would go through a question with me or two questions with me. And... Uh, so I finally, uh, one day he came out of his room and I came out of mine at the same time. And he said, Jay, have you given any more thought to what we've been talking about? And I said, oh, have I given thought to it? I said, yeah, I have. And he said, are you ready to become a Christian? And I said, yes, I am. A, a good thing to keep in mind, if you satisfy many people, if you satisfy their intellectual curiosity, you, are, you can bring them that first step toward knowing Christ. And what does that mean? That means you have to know your Bible. You have to know your Bible really well, and then you don't have to say, well, my opinion is, or Dr. So-and-so says, or so you don't have to go into all that. All you have to do is say, here's what God has to say about it. So I became a Christian. I mean, it was, it was a conversion that wouldn't quit. I just, I just wept like a baby. And I remember the night that I received Christ, I it was raining that night, March the 9th, 1963. And I stood, got up from my knees, and I went over to the window, and it was raining, pouring down rain outside, and I said, this is what life is all about. At 22 years of age, I finally figured out what life was like. It's not about farms. It's not about hunting. It's not about working at Yellowstone Park. Although those are wonderful experiences, that's not what life is all about. And so uh, sometimes I think we need to first of all, be prepared, and secondly, to show people by our lives that the Christian life is a wonderful thing to live. It, I, you know, we get the impression that God is this ogre sitting up there with a, with a beard and a, and a sword ready to cut us down every time we turn around, and that's not the way God is. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And the first, first point I would like to make, this is by way of introduction up till now, the first point that I would like to make tonight is the promises of God are not empty promises. When you read a promise of God in the Bible, latch on to it, because it's not, it's not an empty promise. God will fulfill his promises, just like he said. And so the promise that came to my mind Delight thyself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. I thought to myself, well, this is going to be interesting. I've had such an interesting life up till the time I was 22. What is going to happen? Well, what happened to, make, to, to, to help you along in this story? What, what really happened was that I began to realize that I didn't know the desires of my heart, but God did. 
God knows the desires of your heart that are real. For example, I, I, just on a very personal level, I hated to read. I hated to read before I became a Christian. I went to Cerritos College, they, they made me read books. And it seemed to me a gross waste of time to read books. I didn't like reading books. I didn't enjoy the, the process of reading. And every time they forced me to read a book, it would cause me to change my major. You know, I'm not gonna do that one. Let's, let's try something else. Basket weaving was the only thing that I could find that I didn't have to read a book for. But, but bear in mind this very important lesson that God's promises are not empty promises and he does know the desire of your heart. Now, how do you connect those two together? Delight thyself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Okay, I'm halfway through R Russian language school now. And by the way, I can't see the clock, so pastor, I'll be looking to you for... Uh, I, was, I got halfway through language school and received Christ, and my grades immediately plummeted. I was shooting to be the, get the highest grade in the class. I don't know why I wanted to learn Russian, and I didn't find out for about another 20 years. But as time went on, I, learned, I not only learned Russian, but I went back to school, and it was a three-year break between the time that I got out of the Air Force and the time I went back to school. And that three years was filled with babysitting. My sisters had kids. They were paying very uh, high price for babysitting their children, and one my oldest sister came to me one day and she says, Butch, why don't you take up babysitting? She said, you got three or four children of ours right here. We'll pay you the same that we would pay somebody else. And you're off and running. You got a little business. So what that did, I'd get, I'd get the kids up, get breakfast, get their hair combed, everything like that, and get them off to school. And then I had eight hours to study. And I did study. And I studied the Bible. And uh, so... In, in, that, in that time, I began to see the importance of the Bible. Uh, in, in the interim there, I, I was sent to Japan as a Russian linguist. Why do you suppose they would send me to Japan as a Russian linguist? Because Japan and Russia are only 30 miles apart on Sakhalin Island. It's very, very close. And so we were uh, monitoring uh, radio broadcasts coming out of Russia. And that was a phenomenal experience. It was, it was just a really good experience because I love the Russian language. So I started, I decided, okay, I know what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna read the Russian Bible. And that'll, and I asked my commanding officer if I could do that. He said, Jay, you can do anything you want as long as it improves your Russian. And I said, okay, that's good. I was, when we go, especially on night shift, there was very little activity on night shift. And so I began to read the Bible, and uh, I read the whole New Testament through on my knees. That's important, important thing to remark on, because I wanted to show God that I really did reverence the Bible for all of the hatred that I had toward it. I wanted to show God that I really reverence this book, this wonderful book that you've given us. Um, the night that I received Christ, I opened this Bible and here's the guy who hates reading. I opened the Bible up, and it, it absolutely read like a love letter from God. That's the only way I can describe it. The same boring Bible that my mother wanted me to read it's when I was at Cerritos turned into be a love letter from God. It was wonderful. 
What God has to say to the human race is phenomenal. And by the way, for those of you tonight who may be here and have never received Christ, I'm talking to you. Don't be afraid of being bored out of your gourd if you become a Christian, because the boredom never has time to set in. God has things for us to do. He has things for us to learn. And uh, so when I came back from Russian language school, I had read the whole New Testament, and I had read most of the Old Testament, taking notes, careful notes, and so forth. And, uh, and then I had the, the idea in mind that uh, somebody had told me, a very influential person in my life said, you cannot serve God without a degree. Keep that in mind. And you cannot serve God without a wife. So keep that one in mind. And so that was, that. I lived with that constantly. And uh, I, I, I finally said one day, I said, if I, to this person, if I go out and beat the bushes, as you're encouraging me to do, uh, and I find this very attractive to me, very attractive, very intelligent person, very good-looking person. Uh, how do I know that that's what God's will is for me? So I said, I have another idea. I'm going to pray that, that God in his time will bring my wife to me, and that way I'll know. Because I said, I, I have no confidence in, the, in beating the bushes. It's okay for pheasant hunting or chuckers or something like that. But it may not work, and I think as we look our, at our society, it's not working, as a matter of fact, <clears throat> of just finding somebody that uh, you can live with. No, I, I think that's a mistake. It's too important a decision to be made uh, without the help of God. And so I did that for three years, and then at the end of three years, the second question was answered, and that is, God does not need a degree. He needs a human heart. God does not need a degree. He needs a human heart totally given to himself. And I said, I'm signing up right there. And so it was amazing to me. As soon as, I, as, soon as God taught me that lesson, I was able to take the next step and say, now I can go back to school. I'm going back to school with the right, with the right intention this time. And I went back and I finished my BA and then I went to... Uh, uh, UCI from Long Beach State. I went to UCI. I finished my master's degree, and we ran, Betsy and I ran out of money. And uh, so uh, in 1976, we made a move, and we moved up to Oregon. We didn't have any money. We didn't have a house. I didn't have enough money to pay tuition to go back to school. And so we went up to Oregon, and, and I want you to listen closely now, because we bought a house in Oregon, Chilliquin, Oregon, for $3,750. It was an 800-square-foot house, $3,750. And uh, it, to me, it, was, it, it might as well have been a Getty Mansion, because it was ours. <laughs> this is ours. $500 down and $50 a month. Now, this is the reason I'm telling you these stories. This is, this is the fun that I have been through with God. I, I, I always wanted to jack a house up and put a foundation under it. And that was part of that bucket list. And Betsy would say, oh, this is another one of those things on the bucket list. And so it took me three years to dig all the dirt out. That's a 20 by 40 house, eight, eight, 800 square feet. That's a lot, a lot of cubic yards. And I would pull it out in a little red wagon I had, pull it out from under the house, dump it in the pickup truck, go back into the house and dig. And, and three years later, I had the house completely supported on 
railroad ties. House was a little above ground. But if you walked from the front door in, of the house to the, to the back, you went through the kitchen. The kitchen was like this, and then the back door was up here. The whole house had, had settled in. And the reason is because when they built it in the 1920s, and uh, when they built it, they, instead of a foundation, they, they used log rounds. So they would cut a log off like this at a certain height, and they put those around and lay their two-by-fours out and flooring and everything like that. Well, what happens over a period of 50 years, that was, it would have been, uh, over a period of 50 years, those logs rotted and the house sagged. And fortunately, it was on the dry side of the mountains. We didn't get a lot of rain. But it was, to me, it was just a joy to be able to take that old shack, that less than $4,000 shack, dig out the dirt underneath it, pour the footings, lay up the foundation, and then to, lay, to see it come back down on its foundation again. It straightened out beautifully. It just looked amazing. And, and then we went ahead and, and finished the outsiding, uh, outside siding and, and uh, a number of things like that. And uh, at the end of uh, those four years that we were in Oregon, we had $20,000. We sold the house, uh, and we took no money with us, and we sold and brought 20000 back with us. And it was that that we used to buy our first house in Irvine. And see, I, I, could, just, I could just see the Lord's working. He, he was allowing me to do something that I love to do, but at the same time, he was taking care of us financially. I had a Bible study there, uh, taught a Bible study in two different churches at the same time. And uh, it was, I think the Bible studies were very well received. This is a small town. There were only six, six, 600 people in the town. And so we took our $20,000 and... Uh, came back down and we bought a little place at Culver and Walnut over here in Irvine. And uh, that was the beginning, a little two-bedroom home. That was the beginning. The girls grew up and they needed more room. And so we, I said, look, I can either put a second story on this place or we can go and buy the next bigger house in our tract. And uh, at, that, at that point, we did exactly that. We went down and found a, a four-bedroom Beautiful, beautiful stucco house. And uh, we bought that. It cost $35,000 more than we, than we sold our house for, but it would have cost me $35,000 plus all my labor. And, I, and then I wouldn't have been able to work and make money. And so as God continued to work with me, I saw something happening that, was, that just thrilled me. And that is, he knows our hearts. He knows, as you're sitting here tonight, he knows what the desires of your heart are. Whoever thought that a guy who hated reading would end up doing, doing nothing but reading? No, no, it's, that's, that's virtually my whole life. I love to read. I love to learn new things. And uh, when I was teaching at Biola, I taught there for uh, 30, 83 to 88, 1983 to 1988. And while I was there, Peter Danica from Slavic Gospel Association his father founded it, and he and I used to talk. He and uh, his wife were holding a seminar there at Biola University on Russia, and I said, I'm not doing anything those evenings. I'll just go ahead and attend that. And so toward the end, he, he and I got real close together, and he, and he took out a little phone book, one of those wee little ones like this, out of his pocket, and he said, uh, he said, what, what, what's your ultimate goal in life, Jay? What do you want to do in life? And I said, oh, that's simple. I said, I want to teach the Greek New Testament to Russian pastors. 
because I knew that there were no, uh, there were no opportunities for the, to do that because Christians were not allowed in the university. That was in 1986. In 1991, I get a phone call. Jay, yeah, are you still interested in teaching in Russia? I said, I would love to teach in Russia. He said, now we can't pay you anything. So he said, you'll have to provide your own, your own salary, transportation, everything like that. But Betsy, dear friend that she is of mine, she agreed, go to Russia. And so for two years, most of two years, I was over there teaching at the first Baptist seminary that ever existed in Russia, the first time they've ever had a Baptist seminary in Russia. And uh, that was a wonderful experience. It taught me a lot. And I, and the, <laughs> I have just something here I'd like to read to you that was appropriate to that time. <clears throat> and then I'll... A good teacher has been defined as one who makes himself progressively unnecessary. Isn't that a great definition? Wouldn't, wouldn't you love, Pastor, wouldn't you love to be able to say, I've taught my people everything I can teach them? And you make it, by doing that, you make yourself progressively unnecessary. Well, to show you how that worked, one of the young men who was my biggest cheater, and cheating, ooh, cheating was just rampant over there uh, because of the whole system, the whole communist system, but he saw the error of his way after a year and a half of Greek, he uh, finally just took hold of, hold of it, and he started doing his own work. He graduated with an A in, in that semester, and he became the Greek teacher at the Baptist Seminary in Moscow. And so uh, I never thought, from 1962 when I started studying Russian, I never thought it would be 30 years before I would use it, but it was 30 years, and the amazing thing is God knew it all along. I, I was so convinced that God was going to use that ability of mine in Russian that I went ahead at Long Beach and at UCI, I went ahead and got a bachelor's in Russian also because I could do it alongside the other languages that I was studying. So I, I would assume our time is just about up, but I'd just like to say that um, the Christian life is fun. I'm not saying it's all fun. I, get, I, I, I dedicated six sessions in 2019 to the valleys of the Christian life. Believe me, I'm, I'm aware of the valleys. But if you don't know Christ, or if you're, if you're walking at a distance from Christ, for heaven's sake, invest yourself in him. Give yourself to him. Don't, no, no reservations, none of this stuff, everything except Borneo. Don't say that. Because if you don't want to go to Borneo, the chances of God sending you there are pretty slim. God knew that I loved Russia. I love the Russian people. I hate their government, but I love the Russian people. And he sent me there 30 years after the fact. What a wonderful experience that was. So the next time we'll take up from that period uh, on for the next 30 years, well, I'm dividing it into 30 year segments. We'll take it on uh, the next segment the next time. Thank you so much for your attention. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.